Welcome back to Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. My name is Haley. I work at Buffer and I have been loving being your host for this series so far. We are bringing you business stories like you've never heard before. It has been so fun to learn from all of these small business owners and entrepreneurs. And we're breaking down their stories to show you their success, show you how they're doing good and what we can learn from it all. In the last episode, we looked at intentionally staying small and we heard how not all successful business people need to prioritize growth at all costs in order to achieve their goals. In this episode, we'll be talking more directly about growth and how awesome small businesses who are staying true to themselves are thinking about growth. So how do you protect the identity you've worked so hard to establish while you grow? And how can you bring in new customers while still giving your existing customers the experience they've come to expect? How do you know when to say yes to opportunities for growth and no to the things that will lead you from your path? In this episode, we bring you success stories of businesses that got better alongside getting bigger. Entrepreneurs who scaled without compromise, and we offer practical advice to those thinking about how to retain their identity while building their future. So how do you even start to think about growth? What are the questions you need to ask of yourself and your business in order to ensure you're growing in a meaningful, sustainable way? Here's Holly with some tips. I think it's just important to really understand what your vision is and not to value your vision based on how big or small that you are and just really straying true to the experience that you want to have as you're operating the business. So a question that I ask people is, how do you want to be spending your time on a day-to-day -day basis so that they can really imagine themselves in that moment? What are those interactions like? What are they doing with their time? The reason we start a business, oftentimes a lot of people will say for money, but also people say for freedom. And what they mean is the freedom to work in the way that they want to work. Here's what Hugh from Painter had to say on the subject. When it comes to growth, the stereotypical way to measure a business is by its revenue or the number of employees. We might look at it and just go, okay, is it possible to measure our reputation or impact? How interesting we are as a brand? Can we just stop for a minute and stop measuring the traditional metrics and think of other ways to grow a brand? Becky and Hugh have thought a lot about the areas in which they want to grow. By zooming out and looking at what they want to achieve with Painter over the long term, they've identified the most important areas of the business to develop in order to better serve their goals. We want to make sure that we make a small dent in our industry. We'll like be the thorn in the industry side. To make an impact, we need to be around for a long time. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be a big company or grow a lot. That means we do have to grow our reputation. I think also we talk about growth in terms of our products getting better and better. Ultimately, we want to make jackets that are really timeless, so you don't have to replace them year on year. Our jackets should be of incredible quality that you're super happy with this year and also in 10 years time. And so with every batch we make, we get feedback from our customers and we're constantly thinking about what we can improve on the next time we make it. I think also growth of customer experience is something that we think about a lot and how to make that better. When we sell a jacket, you have to wait six to eight weeks for it to actually arrive on your doorstep because at that point we've made the fabric, which is a 12-week process. So the fabric is ready and waiting in the factory already. But then 
the clock starts ticking once the order is in and the fabric is cut, the sewing begins, you get to see everything from fabric being cut to the preparations to the jacket being actually sewn together and manufactured and sometimes even the dyeing as well if it's a garment dyed jacket. And it's amazing to be able to show customers the process and like who's making it and in where and in what conditions and why it takes so long. And they get really excited because you build quite an emotional connection with that product like way before it arrives with you. And when we started, those updates were like really quite, um, they were quite basic to begin with. They were like, they were really kind of MVPs, if you like, if you're going to talk in a business sense. It was often pictures from Sergio in our factory on his phone and we would send those by email and then we'd be explaining how that happens in a video that was quite embarrassing. By finding ways to enhance their customers' experience and create a connection to their jacket before they've even received it, Painter has found a way to guarantee the longevity of their products, which serves their wider aims around making the fashion industry more sustainable. We have a friend, Vitor, who's local to the factory. He's a fantastic videographer and he'll head up on his motorbike and he'll take videos of exactly what's happening week on week. And so you're really seeing that product developing over the time. And so it's things like that because we want to bring meaning back to clothing and we want people to invest in what they're buying from us and get excited because that means they'll take care of it. We have way more talks about how do we offer a better experience and a much better product than we do about growth. The ways in which painter want to grow are in fact at odds with some traditional ideas of growth, such as producing more products. If we want to think about growing our experience and making the experience better, then we have to be firm on staying small and what that actually means to us. So if we produce only four things a year, that constraint is a huge opportunity because that means that we can take people into the factory and show them jackets being made. If we were creating collections with 40 pieces, which would be a tiny collection as far as our industry is concerned. It's normally hundreds or maybe thousands. There's no chance we could take people into the factory and show you every single piece being made across so many supply chains. It would be a logistical nightmare. So think about what you have and the constraints that you have in your business and then what that actually means, because it often means that you can do things in a way that no one else would. And I think if you're a business person thinking about okay, how big do I want the business to be? It's like, okay, step back for a minute. What kind of life do you want? For us to, we enjoy being on the front lines, like basically being the Swiss Army Knife co-founders of like, hey, we're designing one minute, we're planning a photo shoot one minute, we're doing accounts the next minute. We don't want to be in charge of hundreds of people. Stand back and actually think, okay, what do I want to do? What kind of life do I want? So as we've seen with Painter, There are many ways in which you might want to grow your business, and maybe those aren't the ways in which we typically think about business growth. The most important thing is identifying the areas where you can grow your business that get you truly excited and which serve your long-term goals. Sometimes people might think of growth as creating a family legacy, right? We might have kids and we might be wanting to create this business in hopes that it's something that they want to take over. And so we've sort of generated that family legacy. Other people had to find growth in terms of how can they set up a structure that they can take a sabbatical six months of the year, that the company can function without them for six months of the year, not necessarily having an exit strategy per se, but they realize that if they can have that really nice balance, then they'll like that too. Other people do think of growth as, you know, scaling to some sort of acquisition. And then other people think of growth as in a way to set up a structure that eventually can be taken over by employees. So an employee ownership model. 
Zingermans have followed a fairly unique growth model that has allowed them to expand their reach, increase their customer base, and grow revenues. But all the while, they've stuck to their vision, making sure each branch of their community of businesses is a unique and distinctive establishment. Zingerman's community of businesses has certainly grown in a model that, at least in our minds, we made up. It's certainly not the typical growth model. So the typical growth models are you open multiple units. So we would have opened more Zingerman's delis, first probably in Detroit, then Chicago, then we'd go to L.A. and New York because they're big markets. Then somebody would call from Europe because it's a really cool business and we'd put one there. So that's one model of growth. Another model is franchise. So we, we would have said, oh, Zingerman's Deli, awesome. We're going to open these franchises all over the country. It's going to be like the Starbucks of corned beef. We're going to have thousands of units everywhere. We'll slim down the menu. We'll make it much easier. And then we'll find franchisees and we'll license the name. Okay, then another one. Let's go public. We're going to do an IPO so we get a big cash event. And again, those aren't necessarily bad. I mean, you could tell, I'm sure, through my intonation, they're not for me, and I'm not trying to be judgmental of those who pursue them. So we struggled in around the question of growth. When we opened the deli in 1982, my partner, Paul Saginaw, and I, we didn't write a vision out. We didn't know anything about visioning, just like most humans. But like anybody who creates something meaningful, whether it's a film or a poem or whatever, they have imagined the future, and that, in essence, is their vision. So in hindsight, I know that we had one in our heads, even though we didn't call it that. And essentially, it would have said from the beginning, we want something unique and really special. We also wanted great food and great service and a really down-to-earth place and a great place for people to work. And those were very clear in our heads from the beginning. And then last but not least, we knew from the beginning we only wanted one. I'm not judging those who open multiple units of their restaurant or their business, but the first one in my experience, the energy is always different. You can feel it, you know, and that's what I liked. And so opening the second one, it's inevitable. The energy's not as good. The fifth one, it's convenient if the people that are the consumers live close by, but it's not really very interesting. And it feels like a stage set and not like a piece of art. So fast forwarding, we opened in 1982, it was just me and Paul and two employees. Fast forwarding to 1993, he sat me down on the bench one summer day that's out front of the deli on a nice day mid-morning when I should have been inside getting the sandwich line ready for the lunch rush. And he kind of looked at me in the eye and he goes, okay, in 10 years, what are we doing? And I was sort of stunned and had no answer. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know, in 10 years, what are we doing? I mean, we said we're not going to open any more places, so we're turning down offers. And anyway, this question was, in essence, a recognition that we had fulfilled the original vision. I would equate it to midlife or finishing college or your kids move out of the house. Like you had this long, difficult task you chose, but you made it. And then you realize even though you made it, you're not done. It's actually the beginning, not the conclusion. And so that's when we started to learn about the visioning process, and it's where we wrote the first vision. And it was an attempt to honor Paul's desire to grow and then my intent commitment to not have more delis. And so what we came up with creatively in hindsight was to create this community of businesses, all operating as one connected organization with these semi-autonomous pieces. And that each business, in our, the way we imagined it and wrote it in the vision, would have a managing partner or partners in it. So there was an owner on site who was really passionate about the product and or service that that business did. And that we would operate as one synergistic 
organization, that model, that philosophy, that framework still underlies everything that we do. Following this model for growth, Zingerman's family of businesses now includes the original deli, a roadhouse diner, a creamery, a bakery, and many more companies, including a business management consultancy. Kelly at Destination Unknown Restaurants also thinks a lot about how to make each of their offerings distinctive and unique. Each concept to me has a different voice and a different purpose in the community. So one of our restaurants is a really popular date spot. So it's a little dark and moody and people love just just meeting a a date there for going on a first date. And then another one of our restaurants is a bit more serious. Um, You know, it's where we get really experimental with food and people come there to really just treat themselves and try something new and different and exciting. And then we have casual concepts as well, which are great if you're just, you know, you're with the family, you just want to grab a quick bite. So um, that comes through in the personality, the mood, you know, a lot of our identity on Instagram. And when we're sending out newsletters, we're really crafting the unique identity of each of these concepts. Z's ideas for growth at Rise Up Bakery revolve around his commitment to the people who work for him and to the quality of his amazing bread. We've quadrupled in size in this last year, and I think we barely scratched the surface of what's possible. At the beginning, it it was really just my joy and my project. I just wanted to enjoy it, right? I wanted to have this thing, even a little bit selfishly, that just made me feel good. And then I've realized that I can share that. And so that's gone out further and further. And the bigger it gets, the more I start to realize we're capable of doing even larger things. Uh, I want to grow sustainably. And I also want to make sure that the people that are believing in my dream and helping me accomplish that, that they feel taken care of and that they can have a decent living. And so how fast to grow, where it's going to grow, how if we can afford to grow, those are a lot of things that I, I don't really know that much about and I'm learning. But what I feel like I'm really good at is spotting opportunity. And I do feel like there have been more and more opportunities for us to start to think and to imagine and to dream of what the next steps are. You know, some people are like, well, we could take your bread and freeze it and send it to a different place. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I feel like doing exactly what we're doing, where we make beautiful bread and it's more local is really important. I don't want to freeze it and send it. So the only way that I feel like we could take this and move it somewhere else is if we had another one or a sister one or one that bought into the idea of what the brand is and we can find other people that have a similar dream and I can take all the things I've learned and go do it somewhere else with another group of people and have it so that we can share a name but at the same time make nuances and difference for whatever market we need, right? So I have a lot of recipes and stuff like that, and I could see it growing to a level where we did have one in Chicago, or we did have one in Atlanta, or we did have one in another place that needs it. I'm just really trying to hone my skill and build a team and make it sustainable and take care of the people that care so much. And I feel like if I do that really well, the next steps will they'll open themselves up to me. So now that we've heard all of these amazing ideas for growth and some ways in which we can develop different aspects of a business, what are some of the challenges that entrepreneurs can face when taking those next steps to expand? I would say common challenges that businesses face are things like under communicating 
and therefore the team doesn't have an awareness of what's happening. And when the team doesn't have an awareness of what's happening, then that's when we start to have, you know, tensions within the team, or we might say we have things like culture issues. Whenever we're going through a phase of change, which growth is all about change, we really need to over-communicate. Why are we doing what we're doing? Where are we all headed? What are we all working towards? Really like keeping that bigger picture context alive. Sometimes when we think about visioning and we think about purpose, we'll be like, well, we define that vision statement or that purpose statement and they live in the manual or they live on the wall in a poster or something like that. And we let them go and we just expect everybody to race forward, but they should be really like living and breathing documents that continually weave into our conversations. Maybe we're checking on our goals or our KPIs or something like that. We wanna talk about why these things are important. We wanna keep that context alive. And so I think common challenges that people people have comes down to under communicating around those things. Here's Sheena from Made With Local to tell us about some of the challenges that she's faced while scaling her business. It's been really challenging at times because we've been outpacing our demand and production capacity consistently, right? Once a year, we come into a capacity crunch and we solve for it and we are able to, you know, make more bars and meet more demand and then immediately hit another ceiling. So <laughs> this is like a, a chronic issue at Made With Local, if I'm being perfectly honest, and it has slowed our growth because we've been doing things differently, absolutely, and proving that we can grow this model, but we've been pulled out in the market faster than what we've been able to grow at. So that has been tricky. And there's been some flops too, right? There was one... Uh, social enterprise bakery that we attempted to scale into in 2019. And it didn't go well. And we lost a lot of money. And I mean, the relationship was positive. And there was no, you know, bridges burned or anything like that It was a really positive relationship. But just from a manufacturing output perspective, we just couldn't get over the line. And that was really hard. And I had also just had a second baby at the time. <laughs> so I have pictures of me with my newborn in like a baby carrier and she's wearing a hairnet. There's no hair in her head, but she's wearing a hairnet. So am I. And we're trying to fix like equipment to get it to run. And, you know, it was just an extremely challenging time in the course of the business. Yeah, those have, those have been some <laughs> extra gray hair spouted and uh, <laughs> lots of sleepless nights. The kinds of challenges that different businesses can face are as unique as the businesses themselves. Sheena's issues around production obviously wouldn't apply to, say, a software company that don't make any physical products. Here's Buffer's CEO, Joel, to talk us through some of the challenges to growth that he's faced. Buffer's biggest growth challenge recently has been in having the right product and packaging of that product that will thrive in a market that has been shifting significantly and we've very much been in like the social media management space for a long time and it's just become very crowded over time. Also the social network's changing so rapidly. That's been a, a challenging place to be within the last five, six years. Networks have closed down some of the amount that they allow third-party developers and apps to do with their networks. So it's been an interesting journey for us. And I think that's led to us having to really find the way through it that feels true to us. I think there's been times where we've seen opportunities to keep our growth going 
but it would have taken us away from really the DNA of the company, which to me was always around really serving small businesses and staying committed to them. That's not always the approach that SaaS businesses, especially recurring revenue businesses, take in order to keep their growth going. A lot of times they'll actually go up market and sell to bigger and bigger customers. And so navigating all the market shifts alongside striving to do it in a way that felt like true to our vision and mission ultimately has been very challenging. I think other challenges people face in growth is limiting their mindset around who their customer actually is. Understanding our customer should be a continual process. Sometimes we sit down and we just define who that customer is and then we're like running with a content calendar and with strategies and you know with our our social media marketing but it should be a constant conversation. Oh, are we sure that we're not selling to anybody who lives in Wisconsin? Or, you know, are we sure that this person doesn't exist in this area? What do we know about what's happening in Tennessee? You know, or like who the types of people that live there? You know, sometimes in growth, we get stuck in thinking that it's just one way. Some days, all you get is the fact that someone really enjoyed it and loved it. Right. And some days that's enough. You know, I want to make sure that everyone's comfortable. I want to make sure everyone feels taken care of. That's why I cook for people. That's why I, you know, like you invite your friends over and you make a really nice meal. Your mom makes you your favorite, whatever you'll remember forever. Right. Like it sticks in your soul. It's like someone cared enough about me to make me something that I won't ever forget. And that's basically what I'm trying to do every single day and try to have it where we can do it at a high level and not lose its soul because we're growing so fast. You know, that's my challenge every single day is like, no, we won't compromise. No, it takes longer. Yes, it's harder, but we're sticking with it because that's what got us this far. And that's what people love. So how do you grow a business in such a way that it doesn't lose its soul? As Holly said earlier, periods of growth are periods of change. And when you're growing and changing, it's very likely that you as a business owner will have to make compromises. These compromises are essentially choices between two opposing priorities and making the right choices can be easier when you communicate and consult with other people in your business. Compromise is something that we all do every day and that's okay. Part of what is one of the benefits of the community is that we can bring diverse perspectives together of like-minded people and through that arrive at better conclusions. And then by making conscious collective choices, when we do compromise, it's a group thing, not a I forced you to compromise. As demand for Made With Locals products grew, Sheena faced some big decisions around how to respond to that demand and how to scale her operations. When you go to the energy bar section in your grocery store, you're going to see that the lion's share of all of those bars are made in the exact same way because they're made at co-packing manufacturing facilities. They're made on the same type of equipment with the same library of, you know, often kind of weird ingredients. It's the same thing over and over, just in a different branded pouch. And we knew from the get-go that we were not willing to take that route, right? I didn't want to make the same kind of product as everybody else. I didn't want to take my recipe and change it just so that it would work in the equipment at these big co-manufacturing facilities. I just didn't want to compromise on our product and on our values. And again, for brands that have taken that route, like absolutely no shade. It is absolutely the, the road that is traveled by the vast majority of brands. 
And it works. And it works for a lot of brands. But I just knew that it wasn't for us. So that is where we were getting pushed to go. We were told at a certain point, well, you're going to have to start working with one of these few co-packers in Canada. And, you know, away you go. And I pushed back (laughs) against that, you know, and in turn, slowed the growth of the company and decided to build in partnership with social enterprise bakeries instead, which was the the scenic route for sure. But it was and continues to be something that I'm really, really proud of. By sticking to her original vision, Sheena ensured Made With Local didn't lose its soul and continued to be the business that she wanted it to be. And if she had to take the long way around, then so be it. Scaling your business isn't just a question of where can we grow and how we go about that growth. It's also a question of sustainability. How much to grow and at what rate are equally important questions to grapple with. This is something that Joel has thought a lot about with Buffer. The way I think about growth at Buffer in relation to sustainability is that there's maybe a band of optimal growth rate, which I believe is probably somewhere between maybe 10 and 50% of annual growth. But you could imagine it as like a color gradient. You have red on either side of that band. So if you're only growing between maybe 0 and 10% a year, or you're actually declining, then that would, that would definitely put you more in the kind of red or orange zone of just a risk, uh, I feel like. So that's not a good place to be, of course. But the interesting thing is I think a lot of people don't focus on the other end of the spectrum, which is if you're growing more than 50% a year, if you're growing maybe 100% a year, a lot of companies would call that the best possible outcome. Like that is success. That's that's the goal maybe even. But I've just seen when you're growing that fast, other than maybe the first couple of years where you should be growing that fast if you're getting something new off the ground, when you're more developed, I feel like that pace of growth uh, just causes a lot of problems. Um, culturally, um, all your systems break down, you have to rebuild everything. And so that's where for me, the growth is very connected to sustainability in the sense that I really want Buffer to be in that green zone, that sweet spot. You know, 20 to 30% a year growth would be, I think, a really good place to be. As a company, we have a very large ambition uh, buffer, and I think we can achieve a lot. And if you just think about that kind of growth rate compounding year after year, it can become a very significant business. But that's also the growth rate that allows us to be very intentional, allows us to continue experimenting within our culture and the working environment. I think anything more than that, once you get to, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100% year over year growth, you're really going to have to start like drawing on playbooks and like, okay, this is the playbook for this, this is the playbook for this. You just have to do things in the tried and true way because like you just don't have time to be rethinking everything. While research and careful consideration can give us the confidence to make the right decisions, sometimes it's just a case of knowing what you want and digging your heels in. We're quite stubborn. Uh, We'll pay more for quality fabrics. We'll pay more for better manufacturing. We'll wait longer if we have to wait longer to get a product right. And we wanted to bring it out in February. We'll wait till July if it means getting the product right. That's okay because in the grand scheme of things, if it's going to last you 10 years at least, then we've got to make sure that that product is ready by the time we launch it. So we'd much rather wait. The growth for us is 
not the number one thing that we get up with every day. It's an important part of the vision, but there's 10 pages of written out vision that includes things like succession planning done in a holistic way. The last section is about love and bringing love consciously into everything that we do. And there's a whole section on diversity and why it matters to us and what it really means in practice, not just a PC buzzword to put on a piece of paper. There's a whole section about the quality of service that we give. So certainly growth is embedded in that, but it's not like our vision is grow 40% a year for the next 14 years. What's most important is mindful growth, intentional growth, purposeful growth. And again, if people's only reason to grow is to make more money, at least be clear that that's why you're growing. For us, growth is a lot about providing opportunity for people in the organization. We want to open more businesses so that people can be the partners in those. And it's really about their dreams. So that's really what drives our growth. Growth isn't just business growth and dollars of sales. It's also growth in learning and philosophy and being more loving and more caring and kinder and doing better at dignity and better at creating a more diverse, healthier ecosystem of an organization, contributing more to the community. Those are all also parts of growth. And the money one is only one piece of it. So when thinking about growth, it really pays off to take a holistic approach. You need to think hard about all of the aspects of your business, where you're at and where you want to be. Then use that vision to help identify areas of growth that best serve those goals. As we've just heard, growth can be challenging and will require compromise. So to be best prepared for those hard choices, we need to look inwards and consider how the decisions we make now impact the future we want to build. In the next episode, we're going to look at growth from another perspective. Instead of business growth, we're going to be looking at how to grow your impact. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Small Business big lessons. It has been a joy to continue doing this series and we are loving all of the advice we're getting from these amazing entrepreneurs. Make sure to listen to the next episode on impact and be sure to join our community. If you haven't already buffer.com slash community, we would love to see you there. See you next time. This episode of small business, big lessons was written and produced by Rowan Bishop at message heard script edited by me, Haley Griffiths at buffer and interviews were conducted by Umber Bhatti at Buffer. Be sure to subscribe to Small Business Big Lessons on your preferred podcast platform to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review. 